the first thing that I'm there to do is just create a sense of safety. Because we all know about the small business that gets taken over by a big business and all of a sudden the service drops or it changes or the staff change or your favorite salesperson gets fired or whatever. We've got an uphill battle every time we do an acquisition. What I found was the symptom was I was getting all these grumbles and I was frustrated with people's reactions to the change. And so what's the issue there? I hadn't set the right vision. I hadn't set the why. People are the key to the business. When you start your business as just you, or you hire your first one or two people, you know, it's very different to now when you have an organization where it ultimately the success of your business is now completely tied to how mentally the people are showing up. It's not about actually can they have the skills to do the job anymore. It's about mentally, are they feeling valued? Do they feel loved? Do they feel like they're seen? Do they feel safe? Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Entrepreneurs Rising. This is Carl Taylor, and I'm joined by the incredible co-host of mine, Peter Moriarty. Hey, Pete, how you doing? Yo, yo, I'm doing good, man. That's so good to hear. Today's episode, we are talking about culture clash. What do we mean by that? We mean people, one of the most important assets of any business, the people who are involved, who run it, who do the day-to-day, who do the do. And the culture that is required and what do you do when people don't quite get on? And we share some scenarios, some of in the past and some very recent future, some very recent experiences as well. So let's not delay. Let's just get straight into the episode. So what's been happening this week, Pete? So it's been an interesting week, Carl. You know, we bought this business in late November, early December, and it's the first business in a while that we've acquired a business with a team. Most of the deals that we've done have been no staff, you know, no employees, and it's just been a customer-only deal, which has been awesome because basically we can, you know, take over the business and not have to deal with any of like the human element of integrating through businesses. Very easy to integrate. So easy to integrate, just way easier. And effectively, you know, where we've been at is, so I've taken a, a majority equity position in the business. I'm now effectively, I don't even know what my title is if I'm the chairperson or the the managing director or what. I haven't been given a title yet. And I'm not getting a salary from the business either. And I'm I'm definitely not the CEO because the CEO still remains in the business. So I'm just kind of like this dude on the outside. And, you know, there's there's the obvious kind of like nearly cliche, but there's the obvious concern in integrating the businesses from the employees that here's this new guy who's bought into the business and Scott as well, who's a shareholder. And, you know, am I going to keep my job? Are things going to change? Are there going to be new weird policies coming in? And we're not we're not even merging the two businesses together. We're keeping them separate for now. And so... Yeah, but everyone's everyone fearful, right? Fear. Everyone's got to be in fear of like, what's happening? Change. change. And, it's, and it's human nature, right? It's human nature to have those kind of concerns, you know, fear of change. That's pretty normal. It's a very primal thing. And so, yeah, we basically had, you know, the instance where we're now at the stage of starting to not just learn about the business, but starting to make some some small changes. And I said at the start to everyone in the business, hey, look, I'm not here to, to mess up what's already happening. I'm just here to improve the performance of the business. The business has been at a bit of a plateau for three years. They're making profit and the profit's growing and that's really awesome. 
it's performing really well profit-wise, but revenue-wise and kind of business growth, it's it's kind of stagnated in a way. And so I'm there to help drive growth and realize the full potential of, of what this business can be. So the interesting thing is, is we've started to make some very small organizational structures, uh, structural changes. And, uh, you know, one of those is because we've already got so many teams set up in in our primary business, IT Genius, we've got a finance team, we've got an accounts team, we've got a sales team, we've got everything else. Some of those just make natural sense yeah. to have as what's called shared services. Consolidate. Consolidate, yeah. And people get freaked out. They're like, oh, my God, totally. people lose yeah. jobs in mergers and, and things like that. And so we don't have a plan to let go of anybody. We know no roles are being made redundant in this business because we want to just take the roles that are already there and basically maximize them, use them to support more future growth in the business. Mm. But one of the interesting one that has uh, interesting ones that's come up is we have two staff members, which are rank or hierarchy are equal, right? So uh, one person is managing finance for mm. one business, and another person is managing finance for another business. Now, mm. the challenge that we have is that we've chosen how we would like to structure the executive team. And we've chosen the structure for the group, which not only includes these two companies, but I also have personal businesses as well and a personal investment trust and other things that are that are currently managed. And, you know, let's yeah. just say that there's been a little bit of conflict, <laughs> a bit of a bit of stepping on some toes with, you know, with the integration of those two people who are being asked to work together, but also being asked to is that out of fear? Do you think that's out of like there's a fear on potentially on both sides, or do you think that, well, or is it more just a personality thing that they're too similar and they trigger each other, or do you think there's actually an underlying like there's only going to be room for one of us? For starters, I think that's definitely there. And what I know is that whether or not people talk about that, that's a primal instinct that that fear is just going to be there, and it's really a matter of mm. building trust and lowering, like just lowering that risk. And I've tried to do that as much as possible. And in every acquisition that we've done, you know, the first thing that I'm there to do, and it's usually to the customers, not so much the staff. The first thing that I'm there to do is to create a sense of safety. Because we all know about the small business that yes. gets taken over by a big business and all of a sudden the service drops or it changes or the staff change or your favorite salesperson gets fired or whatever. And so like we've got an uphill battle every time we do an acquisition because there's that rhetoric around what happens when acquisitions happen. That's just intrinsically, intrinsically effective. It's there. The other interesting thing is that there's an idea of, an inherent idea of hierarchy with roles and with titles that I don't subscribe to, mm -hmm. but I'm the CEO. So, <laughs> so you know, I've got the, dude, I've got the luxury dude. of, of yeah. being in the position of, ultimate not power. needing to and so for me it's it's really easy yep. to say oh i don't care about labels because i'm the big boss effectively at the end of the day and so it's for me it's a little bit difficult sometimes to understand and to actually genuinely empathize with someone coming into a business and saying hey your role is now changed Here's the different role. We had the exact same problem happen, man. Exact same kind of scenario. Titles changed, roles changed. And like you, I didn't really subscribe to it. I was like, oh, what's the big deal? But it's like, there's a lot of, and you and I both have large teams that are Philippines based, and there's a lot of value and weight added to a title that may not be quite the same weight and that we subscribe to that Social title hierarchy outside so, of business, yeah. and it comes down to somebody's identity 
And it, you know, in some localities, it will be uh, very intrinsically linked to pay as well. So it is really important, uh, particularly in the Philippines, pay grades yeah. are actually linked to role titles. And there's legal requirements in Australia, we have award rates, which um, are a way, you know, linking different titles and different uh, role descriptions to uh, minimum uh, pays and things like that. We pay above market. So that's never a concern for me. But interestingly to note, in my intention of breaking down all of my ego identities and getting to a place of absolutely zero, like I just go, what? You care? You care about that? <laughs> and I've got to like kind of stop myself and go, oh, no, actually, if this person cares, it's important for me to respect that. And hence, totally. we now have an HR team who will help with transitioning of roles and having conversations with people about, you know, careers transitioning. And HR is one of those things where you never think you need it. And then, you know, now that we've actually implemented it, our team have just done such a phenomenal job. And we don't call them HR, we call them the Empower Team because their job is to empower our team, nice. empower everyone else on the team to be the best version of themselves. But here's the thing that I learned. I, nice. I, you know, I know that I made a big mistake with this restructuring around the finance roles and businesses. The big mistake that I made was actually a very simple change management mistake. And there is a change management framework that a friend shared with me from McDonald's. They were a consultant to McDonald's and they used to go around and help the different stores with their performance. And my friend gave me this framework and it's basically the seven steps to effective change management. And I think I've covered this on my YouTube channel on if you search for IT Genius, we've got some stuff there. If not, send us a message and I'll cover this in an upcoming live stream. And basically, if you follow each of these steps, you'll have a successful change. But if you skip any one of the steps, you're going to have problems along the way. And one of the steps is mm -hmm. setting the vision. One of the steps is explaining the why. One of the steps is taking baby first steps. One of the steps is, you know, making sure you follow up. One of the steps is equipping your team with the right tools. And what I found was the symptom was I was getting all these grumbles and I was frustrated with people's reactions to the change. And so what's the issue there? I hadn't set the right vision. I hadn't set the why. I hadn't got everyone yeah. in a room and said, hey, communication. this is what we're looking to do here. We want to have one person who sits as the finance executive who's going to help us with the top level executive strategy for finance in the business. And we want to have another person who is doing all of the strategic financial work and working with managing and running the team and the strategy of the finance. And both of those work in symbiosis. Yes, there is technically mm. a hierarchy because one is reporting to the other. But, you know, what I found is just going in there and making that change without first setting the vision meant that it was just fear. It was just fear. It was a fear yeah. of, am I being demoted? A fear of, is my role changing? Yep. A fear of, uh, might my role not exist? A fear of, are they letting me go from the business at some point in the future? Are they just preparing for that? Yeah, and they just haven't told me and yet. They just haven't yep. told me yet. Is this all bullshit? Who knows? And so there's good learnings and good lessons there for me. I'm sure this will not be the last integration that I do with team members. Uh, and, and as I said in one of the meetings with the team, the worst thing that can happen is for someone to get upset and leave the business, which is what multiple people are threatening yeah. to do at the moment. <laughs> but this fire is very much burning. But, you know, the way that I lead and the way that I deal with these kind of issues is I get everyone on a call and I say, hey, let's air it out. Let's put everything on the table. Let's, let's talk about let's it. Let's talk about it. Let's get to the bottom of things. And doing that remotely is a little bit more challenging than being able to do it in person. But luckily I have practice with that. But it's interesting in, you know, noticing the different way that I will approach that challenge 
to one of my other business partners who is a bit more on the reserved side and is a bit more on the side of errs more on the side of let's keep everyone happy and let's not rock the boat too much. Yeah. And I'm very much more on the side of this needs to be done. I'm going to go do it. Let's fix it. Let's, let's rock the fix boat. it. Let's rock, let's let's rock the boat. It up. I get, ex- I I get, get excited fixed. rocking the boat. <laughs> and so this, this brings time. up a lot. <laughs> I, I think this brings up a really good point that I think is important for everyone in business to realize because Dude, like as you're explaining this, I'm just, you know, you've seen probably the smiles on my face at times, the nodding of heads, you know, not the exact same scenario, but we've gone through a few rounds of very similar things where people have felt threatened, their titles, roles have changed. And it's just like you said, it boils down to being a communication issue from the leader, i.e. me, not setting expectations, not setting the vision correctly. I'm a bit more like that business partner. My general tendency is a bit more reserved and in the past has been, let's not rock the boat. And uh, I've been doing a lot of work in my personal life as well as business life to actually share in the moment. If I'm like, yeah, that's not what I want. I can explain that better. So I'm finding a middle ground between the Pete rock the boat and the you know business partner and Carl like, oh, let's keep everyone happy. Yeah. And, and so I think it's really important though, because this boils down to something that I think too many entrepreneurs would not think about, right? People are the key to the business. When you start your business and it's just you, or you hire your first one or two people, you know, it's very different to now when you have an organization where it ultimately the success of your business is now completely tied to how mentally the people are showing up. It's not about actually can they have the skills to do the job anymore. It's about mentally, are they feeling valued? Do they feel loved? Do they feel like they're seen? Do they feel safe, as you've mentioned? And uh, it can be very easy. It's not about you anymore either. It's like you can't even affect it enough. All you can do is try and influence the system, but the system is running itself now. Yeah, It's its own thing. And it's very easy as the entrepreneur and the CEO this is my experience and it sounds very similar to you, especially when you've come from a business where it was maybe just you or you and a couple of dudes or dudettes. And now all of a sudden you've got an organization, you actually have to do change management and you haven't done a university degree or a business degree that teaches change management. You know, you haven't come through this corporate world of like, yes, change management. This is what you do. You're a small business owner. You're an entrepreneur. You started this thing because you had a great idea. And now all of a sudden you're finding that you've had a new idea and you want to implement change and you're getting resistance. And you're like, wait, what? Why am I getting resistance? Come on, people. Can't you see the picture in my head? You actually have to really learn to communicate the vision in your head to the people around you, you got to communicate the why you're doing this, why I want to do this. And then you actually have to stop and listen to all the genuine concerns and objections that are coming up for this person. Whether you agree with them or not, you've got to hear them. And then you can kind of go, ah, okay, I hadn't thought that. And the number of times, I don't know if you found this, Pete, like the number of times that I've got this great idea, ready to go forward, here's what we're going to do. And then a few people go, oh, but what about this? I'm concerned about this. And go, I hadn't even thought about that, to be honest. That's actually. Yeah, I hadn't considered that that might look like this to you or to the client. Or There's a lot of value there. And I, it's just, I'm reminded in this moment, I think it was Richard Branson who said it. It was like, he builds teams of people. That's what builds his businesses. I think that's everything. You strip away all the stories of your circumstance and my circumstance. That's what we're talking about here is learning to be a good leader and a good communicator of vision is I think very much what I'm learning to upskill in business. How does that land with what I'm saying? Does that seem fairly accurate to what you've been experiencing? It's a communication of your vision 
and oh, I, I just love it. I mean, I, I admire I admire Richie Branson so much, and I've got goosebumps thinking about him because you know I think he really is a true entrepreneur in that he'll birth an idea, find the right people to implement it, and then step the f away and just let them do their work and let them do their job. And you know what I also love is how great he is at brand in bringing a brand to something, bringing money together, and then going and doing something because the brand already fills out 60 or 80% of their culture mm. at Virgin. Mm. And, you know, the rest is kind of people operations, um, you know, making sure you've got the right people on the team. I admire that and I don't quite feel like I'm at that level oh, of just waltz in, drop the magic ideas, and then waltz back out again. It's the walking uh, out know, that's the hard of... part, don't you reckon? It's the stepping up. Yeah. Like how, I have no problem coming up with the idea and going, guys, here's what I want. But I haven't, I get too involved. I'm too attached to here's what I want the vision to be. And you're not quite doing it the way I envisaged it. Like, I don't know how he, <laughs> how he just walks not away. exactly how I expected it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For me, I think having a strong integrator. And uh, if you've read a book called, uh, to the listener, if you've read a book called Traction mm. uh, by Gino Wickham, he talks about having strong founder and a strong integrator. And the integrator is the person who catches the ball and then implements things and makes them happen. And that is, you know, a symbiotic relationship. And I think for the founder, for us, our, our lesson is to learn that sometimes like people are going to say no to us <laughs> and we can't implement every idea. Like I've got a chatbot idea that we're in, just about to launch with our customers that I've had on the cook for three years. There have been dashboards that I've been wanting to do for two years. Yeah. There's a customer reports automation project that started three years ago and then fell over and then didn't scale and nothing got done on it. And, you know, literally for years, I'm like burning up inside that, oh, if only this amazing idea had been implemented, we we'd wouldn't be, have all these other challenges. We'd be in a different situation. Oh, dude, I've got five years oh, worth God. of things that are only now coming out. I think we were talking about this the other day where it's all of a sudden it's like something that I started on three years ago, we're now kind of starting to pick up the ball again and I've had yeah. better ideas since. So we're not even being able to reuse what we did three years ago. We're going to start all scratch, even though it's basically the same idea just with some better improvements. Yeah, that's... That happens all the time. It's the dilemma of the entrepreneur. And I think I fall back to this principle. I think the business can only ever be about 80% in control. You know, it's kind of like a circus or, you know, a fire that you're trying to contain (laughs) or, you know, a, a snowball rolling down a hill and becoming an avalanche. And you're just really, you're just trying to influence it in certain directions. I like that. The dichotomy is as soon as it, grows more and more, you have less and less control and less ability to impact it personally. Although you could argue that, you know, through culture, that's going to have the biggest leverage. And I absolutely agree with you with what you said about that, that, you know, it just comes down to the culture and the psychology of how people are going to show up. And the challenge with um, that, man. But it's quite interesting. I've, I heard from a mentor that many seven and eight figure, sorry, many eight figure business owners wish they had a seven figure business because once they got to tens of millions of dollars, the mistakes became $100,000 mistakes instead of $10,000 mistakes. And I've had them. Mm. Our Google Cloud account was hacked the other week and someone went through $90,000 on a credit card in three days. And we just happened to have cash sitting there ready to pay a bill on our Amex. Now, we got the money back, but there was no guarantee that we'd get it back. And those kind of things just happened. And I just think, holy shit, if I didn't have a credit card with the $90,000 limit on it, that just couldn't have happened. Like back in the old days when I, you know, I was scraping to pay my credit cards, 
that just literally wouldn't be a risk mm. because they'd maybe get a thousand dollars out of it and then it would run out of limit yep. on a card those kind of things happen and i kind of have like a little vomit in my mouth type moment of like Ugh! like <laughs> they're the kind of things that could be showstoppers mm. for the business i come back to that principle of it's never going to be like fully perfect and it's never going to be fully in control it's just kind of about riding the wave like jumping on your surfboard and just and just ride riding that way well, it brings up an idea of like about life of is it ever really in control? Like is control, control is really an illusion. We think we have control of anything. I do like your analogy though, of like the snowball. I picture the snowball going down a hill and it's like, once it's got its traction, it's moving. What you might be able to do is put a few trees or move the trees around. Like if it was SimCity and control a little bit of its direction, but at the end of the day, it's going to go wherever the hell it wants to go. And that's what happens when you get a business up and running to a certain degree. I, it's definitely true of my business. It's, it's at a point where it's kind of, I think that's what allows people like you and I, Pete, to step away from the business and have it work without us so much. It's the good mm. and the bad. It, it has its own momentum. It doesn't need us to stoke the fire to keep it going, which is the amazing part that gives us the freedom. But the downside to that is yeah. it's on its roll. And when we do want to come in and try and stoke the fires and fix something, it's not a snap our fingers and it's done. It's a, oh, I have to do lots of little micro things to try to realign it. And the things I do today, I probably won't see the fruits of it for three months, six months, 12 months down the line. Like you were talking earlier about, you know, the, the culture of people being so valuable. You know, the challenge is when you discover that the culture is not going in the direction you want it. And that's definitely what I've found in, right now in my business in automation agency. You know, we've clearly, and I can see some of it is on definitely a lot of it's my doing. I should take all, all of it is my responsibility, really. Over the years, mm. as I've shifted my views, there are things I've said, there are things I've done where I was up to in that time that has planted a seed that has continued. And then it's taken the culture of the team to not quite be where I want it to be. And now trying to come back in and go, okay, I'm seeing that some of these challenges we're facing are to do with culture. It's not just a great, let's snap our fingers and change the culture. Let's put some new posters up. We're not like we've got an office to do that, but it's like, it's not that our values are wrong. It's how we've reinforced the living of them and things we've maybe tolerated that we shouldn't have tolerated. And it's not just, well, I am not finding it easy to take back that control and go, okay, culture's gone, not in the direction we want. We need to start moving that. And that's going to take a long time. It's not going to be done tomorrow. That's This is the shadow. I think this is good. We're talking about something like we've talked a lot about on this podcast, how amazing it is, how to get freedom. We haven't really, and we've talked about some of the other challenges of, you know, when you make more money, you've got bigger problems. They just got more zeros. I don't remember who first said that to me many years ago, but it was like, you know, your problems don't disappear. They just have more zeros. They become bigger problems, different problems. This is the shadow of if you have a business that works without you, gives you the freedom. It means that when you do want to come in and make change, it's not simple and fast changes. It's going to take time because it's like a train riding past you really quick and you're reaching out to try and quickly grab hold. And if you happen to grab hold, now you've got to hold on for dear life to try and get yourself on. And then you've got to try and talk and figure out how you're going to change the track that you're on. <laughs> and the scariest thing, the scariest thing is when you've got something bad that's going on and you want to change that. Improving something and making it better, that's fine because at worst you can get frustrated with the speed yeah. that things are improving. But when you've got a problem, and we've we've had a problem in the last year, we've had months where we've had net losses based on the changes in the economy and we didn't grow as fast as we thought we were going to grow and one of our forecasts was wrong because of a stupid error. And so we've 
had a number of months where we've had net losses booked in the business. And when you're trying to make change there, I get to the, the point of like, okay, it's wartime CEO, great. I want to like put the gloves on, roll up my sleeves and jump in and fix things. And then it's like- Stepping on toes. Uh, Pete, there's not much you can do <laughs> yeah. here. Because <laughs> now you're stepping on toes. There's People just, are like, what? Get out, of my, get out of my business. There's, you know, there's just not much. All, all the things that I can attempt to fix are going to take weeks or months to come into effect. Now, there's an easy fix. You go in and slash costs and you fire people and rah, rah, rah. But that's not how we do business because for me, what's more important is I've made that transition from just optimizing for income to now optimizing for impact. If I'm letting go of team, that's less people that I'm employing. That's actually going backwards on my impact. I'm happy to go backwards on my income, but I don't want to go backwards on my impact. And so the interesting thing there is just how long it takes to change. Now, Carl, I want to look back to something because we started this episode talking about culture mm. clash. And I know you had a significant culture clash in your business. Uh, yes. And that kind of like scarred you enough <laughs> to also scar me and have me reevaluate some of my internationalization strategy. So I'm curious to hear from you on your culture clash that you went through with automation agency. Yeah, well, that's it's gone back a few years now, but it, it definitely is a is a scar or a memory that is very much triggered. We've even more recently been reevaluating. Let me set the scene. You know, our service, if you're familiar with Automation Agency, we're a subscription, you get access to our team. And we mostly serve Australia, US, UK, Canada. That's our primary. We have some Singapore and various others around the world, but they're our kind of primary markets. And the big challenge is that they're all in different time zones. And so some of our clients, the clients in the US in particular, are really quite successful with us. They're happy to kind of know that we're not working during their daytime and they send us stuff. And then while they're sleeping, we're working on things and they wake up to work done. Many of our clients like that. However, there's also a large segment of clients who are no longer with us or they might still be with us, but it's not ideal. They would prefer real time all the time. They we, we don't work on weekends, Saturday and Sunday. We've had people insult us saying, this is a global world. How can you offer an internet service and not work seven days? Now, the reality to whoever it was, I can't remember who it was who said that many years ago now, the reality is that there are costs, there are things involved. And we have a big team in the Philippines, which works great for the Australian time zone. We can even make it work quite well for the UK time zone by using shifts, which we do. We have different shifts. And we do have a shift, an early morning shift to try and be more friendly with the US time zone. It's a 5 a.m. start for the Philippines, but that's still only like, I can't remember the exact time difference right now, but that's still only maybe say 3 p.m. for someone on the West Coast of the US. Yeah, better for West Coast, but East, East Coast. East Coast got nothing. Yeah. And so you know, we got clients all around the US. And so we started when we decided we were going to go into the international, we decided let's build teams in different parts of the world. That's how we'll solve it. We're virtual anyway. So let's have a team in Serbia, which is where we kind of ended up. And that was a total fluke. It was me trying to find someone to fill a role that I, at the time I couldn't find a Filipino who could be our basically head of security, web mastery, or looking after websites, servers, security stuff. I just couldn't find someone in the Philippines who had the skill I wanted. And I was using Upwork because I struggled to find. And I happened to hire this amazing Serbian and his English was amazing. He was on a great time zone for UK in particular. And I thought, hey, this will be great. Let's build a Serbian team and we'll have the Philippines team. And so the Serbian team ended up getting to, I think we had six at our height in the Serbian team. And there were a lot of challenges that came with that operationally get into those. And we are back at that place now where we're reevaluating going, well, if we want to offer better service to the US, do we need to build another team in say South America or something to try and be better on their time zone? 
And the scar comes up of going, well, Carl, you've faced this problem before. What was the problem? It was, as Pete said, it was culture. Let me paint this picture for you. Filipinos are lovely, hardworking, beautiful people, very friendly. They're also typically, we're we're painting a, a brush, obviously there's always exceptions, but they're typically a bit more on the reserve side. If they're not happy, they can often run from a scenario rather than face into it and talk about it. If you've ever hired someone you know, as a VA or something online and they just ghosted you and disappeared, I don't know if it happens as much today, but it used to happen a lot in early online business. That's usually because there was a shame aspect. They hadn't done their job or they they felt guilty for what had happened. They just disappear with your money or they just disappear on you and then they'd pop up again later, hoping you'd maybe forgotten about the scenario. That's kind of your Philippines culture, right? That they're they're very tactful. They won't come straight out and tell you. Let's let's outspoken. Yes, they won't come straight out and tell you there's and a problem. There's actually an interesting <laughs> kind of context around that. This is partly my opinion, but Philippines' number one export is people, is labor, right? And part of that is offshore Philippine, uh, Filipino workers who will go and literally work overseas on ships and construction in, in different countries all around the world, send money back to the Philippines, very well-known part of the culture. Uh, another thing is the number of call centers in the country and uh, BPO's business process outs- uh, outsourcing. And what I've noticed, and this is where my opinion comes in, what I've noticed is that call center workers are treated as disposable in the Philippines, in my opinion. And that's because it's minimum wage and because it's a country of 100 million people, if you decide that you don't like your job or you don't hit your KPIs or your manager doesn't like you, see you later, someone else can fill that seat really easily because there's just so much labour available. And so that creates a culture of employers treating teams as disposable and I've witnessed this from stories and from my experience and for employees to feel like a job is disposable because they can disappear and get another one and so there's you know in my opinion quite a harmful culture there of the work relationship between employer employee not really being harmonious and not really uh, having much uh, let's say um, loyalty or you know interpersonal respect and connection. And so the propensity for online workers to ghost is partly a cultural conditioning. And, you know, there's intergenerational, you know, culture based on the history of the country and the Spanish enslaving the Philippines for 300 years. And, you know, all of those kind of effects that have been passed down through families, I believe, plays into effect. And then you have American companies and Western companies, uh, in my opinion, mistreating Filipino workers with the way that call center KPIs are structured and the way their employment practices are structured, it all just, you know, leads into this mishmash of people not sticking around. Mm, Interesting. But in general, there's the, in my experience, the culture of, as you said, Carl, you know, not being less outspoken about issues, less outspoken about problems, less outspoken about boundaries non-direct let's, let's put it another way if there's a problem we're not going to be direct about it and if someone is direct with them correct whether that be us or someone else a client even it can come across to them as rude mm. and you know we face that with clients we have clients who are quite direct that sometimes the team will be like we've got a rude client and it's like you go and read it and you're like mm, there's no rudeness here they're actually being very polite they're just being very direct about what they want 
that was effectively what was going on. Because if you know the Serbian culture, so Serbia is in Eastern Europe, if you're not familiar, they're not part of the EU, I believe, you know, the union. And so they are at the time were almost on par pay rates were almost similar to the Philippines. So it seemed perfect to me. I was like, great, this is amazing. And we built this team out of, of six and that was helping us. It meant that we had a better handover of time. We, we still weren't filling the US time, but at least it meant our Serbians were able to work a little bit more into the US early morning time. And they were very much on the UK time. And it was they had great quality English. Uh, everything seemed really good. And what we started to find is that we were having these challenges where you know, they wouldn't necessarily respect their team leader who was Filipino. That's how it came across. That would be the the team leader not feeling respected, feeling like they were being talked back at, argued with. And it all came to a head. Like we were trying to deal with this all virtually. And, you know, I thought things were going okay. Like it was just a bit of frustration. And then I went over to Serbia. I did a one of the operational challenges, the logistics of having multiple teams is, well, if you're going to run a in-person training, which we're not right now in COVID times, but we used to do in-person trainings. I would go to the Philippines once a year. And then it was like, well, I can't just leave out this Serbian team. They're missing out on this thing. So let's go over to Serbia one year. So I went there to spend time with them in person. And just over lunch one day, I was having what I thought was a great conversation. And then I felt like I was having an argument with one of my team members. You know, I was just like, look, I'm, you know, the CEO, I understand what you're saying, but here's how I want it done. And there was talk back at me. There wasn't just a, okay, yes, boss. It was like talk back. And I remember just being like, oh, and later I had a conversation, not with this particular team member, but with one of the others. And I was like, oh, you know, I really felt like there was a bit of tension and argument there between me and this guy. And he's like, oh no, in Serbian culture, like that's just, we're just having a conversation. There's no, in their experience, there was zero argument. There was zero tension. But it was like, no, that was just a conversation of like totally respects and understood what you were saying. And that's when the light bulb went on. I was like, huh, if even I as the CEO felt like there was tension here between me and this guy, all of a sudden I was like, this is making more sense why we're having some of these challenges where the team are coming to me with there's this problem and this problem and they're feeling like they're, they're pointing fingers at each other. And it just, when you've got a team where people start pointing fingers at each other, that's when things start to crumble, right? It doesn't matter what you do as a leader. If people start going, oh, but it's my faults, my responsibility is this, your response is that, and they're not actually working as a harmonious team, that's just not our culture. That's not what I wanted. And that's when I was like, okay, I hadn't factored in the different background cultures of someone who can talk quite directly and those who don't do so well with that seems conflict, that seems scary, and they shirk away from it. If we want this team to work, it's not going to. And that was our biggest culture clash of just these two very different teams. And so, you know, I've had people tell me, oh, South America will be amazing. They're going to work great with Filipinos. They're a great time zone for what you're looking for. And I just keep having that little bit come up of going, well, I've been down this road before, Carl. You know, there are also, let, let, let me get wrong. It's not all cultural. There, there were logistical operational challenges, as I mentioned, of having multiple teams that wasn't fun. But it is probably the number one thing is that knowing that, hold on, if you just have a whole group of Filipinos, yeah, they don't always get on either. There's culture stuff going on there, but at least they all... Mate, north versus south, <laughs> Manila versus Davao is like a real problem. Yeah, totally. And it's, I was about to say, they all speak the same language. And while that's technically true, there's all the different dialects and you know those who speak Tagalog versus Visaya. So yeah, this is the challenge. This is the real thing of like, I am in awe of these big global multinational companies that are able to get their Indian teams. And we've, we actually do. I should add that. We do actually have a, an Indian team as well who are our more engineering team. They're a little bit, I guess, held at a distance. They're, they're not interacting in the same way because that whole team is Indian and they're just talking every now and then. They're not part of the 
their leader isn't from another nationality and maybe that helped. So it's the culture is definitely a real thing to navigate. And when, again, let's, I'm calling out for me, like I haven't been through a business school, a management school that teaches this stuff. I'm self-taught from my own experience. Before this business, my largest business had five staff members and they were all Aussie. That was my experience before Automation Enzy. And now we've got a team of 50 something. And, you know, I've got people in the US, we got all these contractors all around and trying to deal with pulling them all together. Like I'm reading books, I'm just figuring out as I go. Is that the same for you, Pete? Like it's just figuring out as you go or? Yeah, I, I've said about three times in the last week that I didn't go to CEO school. So I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know, more than anyone else knows what they're doing. And I think that's, you know, really just kind of life, I guess. We're all just trying to work it out as best Making as we can. Making it up as we go. Something interesting that's strategic that came up for us as we've been uh, investigating uh, different potential acquisitions of Google partners globally, we've looked at different markets. Um, and so we have an opportunity for a partnership in France. We have an opportunity in the Philippines. And we have an opportunity in um, kind of like Thailand, uh, Vietnam, kind of areas, Southeast Asia. And as we've looked at each of those opportunities, it's been interesting where some of those localities have different primary languages where English just really isn't the, the language that's spoken the most. And even though there are great businesses there that we have the opportunity to acquire or merge with and partner with, unfortunately, we will lose some of our edge in that our team being based in the Philippines with the low cost of labor fueling the growth of our business. That's really part of our, our strategy in terms of growth. Yet if we go to a place like France, they're going to want to speak with someone French. who speaks French. And there's not many Filipinos that speak French. And so for us, that that kind of like plays into part of the strategy of where we go in different markets that we want to develop. And that's something that, we'll, you know, I'll kind of keep sharing about on the podcast as we go along that journey. Uh, you know, for now, we know that we've hit maybe 5% of the Australian market of the addressable market that is actually there in terms of Google Workspace, which is a product that we work with and support primarily. And so there's just so much more bandwidth for us to work more here and it poses questions do we need to go outside our own country you know is that just coming from a place of ego or is that something that, that we really want to do to have a greater impact we will save that for however conversation. for a future episode <laughs> uh carl i think it's time to wrap this one this has been the culture clash and uh i think a little, we covered a little bit on control there which was uh which was quite nice as well so to the listener, thanks so much for joining. You can check out all of the back episodes of our show at rising.show. And of course, follow us on socials, little snippets on Instagram and on Facebook as well uh, to keep up with the show and the best highlights from the different episodes. You can catch those and then click through and listen to the full episode wherever you get your podcasts. As always, if you love the show, please share it with someone who you think may find it interesting. And we'd also love to get an honest review from you. Give us five stars if you think we're worth it. Otherwise, let us know what you think of the show and we will catch you in a future episode. Carl, thank you so much for joining me again, my friend. Bye. Bye.